Father, thank you for our opportunity to study your word. Enrich our lives and let us see the depths of its glory as we study it tonight together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're, I, we're really, it's all good. I can't say that one's better than the other, but uh, the, the, uh, the intimacy of Yahweh to his people, even though his people don't deserve it, that's about the story of mankind. We don't deserve anything that God does for us, but he's moved to do it uh, because he's God. We, we, of course, we'll get out of this, and then we'll, we'll get into the outfittings of the tabernacle, which is going to be a pretty deep, good study, because the last time I preached through Exodus, oh, was in the 90s, I, th in the 90s, I think. And when we came to the part of the tabernacle, it was sort of a series within that series, and I called it the flesh of God, because everything about it is a description of the person uh, of Christ, either himself or his ministry, uh, his, his person of the Godhead, uh, and, and all that he does and what it means to us. That's really going to be... In other words, it just gets better. Okay, here we go. Exodus 14. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and let them turn back and encamp in front of Pihirath, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp opposite by the sea. And Pharaoh will say about the sons of Israel, look at this. Yahweh knows what Pharaoh is going to think before Pharaoh knows he's going to think it. It is so difficult. For the children of God, just to let God be God and let us be his child, that's hard to do. It's, it's so hard to think that God already knows the thought before it's thought, already knows the act before it's acted, already knows the behavior before it's behaved, already knows the deed before it's done. And yet, and yet the Bible is full of that truth. And here is one. It just would almost slide by you if you don't stop and Ponder on it. Reflect on it. Here's what Pharaoh is going to say. What do you think about that? Pharaoh's going to say, They are confused by the land. The desert has closed in upon them. It's almost like Pharaoh says, You know, yeah, we're going to let them go, but they're going to get out there in the desert. And they're, they're, not, they're not going to be prepared for that. And we'll, just, we'll just take them back real easy. Verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that Egypt may know that I, Yahweh, that I am Yahweh. And they did so. God has already declared the end from the beginning. He will gain honor over Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and God is going to be glorified through hardening the heart of Pharaoh. That's, uh, that's the way God is. He will, he will extract glory in the way that he chooses to extract glory. And our job is to glorify him 
and to recognize the glory that belongs to him. Pharaoh will never do that because Pharaoh is Pharaoh and God hasn't said that he would. But he has said, God has said, God says here, I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all of his army, that Egypt may know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. All right, all of the plagues, the last one, of course, being the death of the firstborn, the Passover. What a grand display of power. And yet still, there has to be further demonstration of the power and glory of Yahweh. Here, he says, I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all of his army. Now, what that tells us is that probably the greatest force in the world, or at least in that part of the world at that day, that was incomparable was the force of Egypt. The power of Egypt, the economy of Egypt, the wealth of Egypt, uh, the society of Egypt, the culture of Egypt. They're already knocked down to their knees because all of their gods have been defeated, including Pharaoh. But what's left now? Well, the force of Pharaoh, the, the army of Pharaoh, that is still left. Uh, and Yahweh hardens Pharaoh's heart to use this force that still remains against the sons of Israel. Verse 5. It was reported to Pharaoh that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. Now you remember earlier they favored the people. You remember that? They, here, take all this stuff we have. We want you to have it. Y'all are, are great. Y'all are good, you know. But now, huh? But now they look around and they don't have their stuff anymore and Israel has it and Israel has run off. They have a change of heart. What is this that we have done that we have released Israel from serving us? Now that is the language of the world. What have we done that we have caused this thing to happen? such that we have released Israel from serving us. Now, you and I have been seeing for 13 chapters how this whole thing is God. It's not, it's not Egypt. It's not even Israel. It's God. Just a chapter, a couple of chapters back, we also saw how the people were anxious to get these people out of their land. But now all of this has changed. This shows us how finicky the world is. Here, here, here's the deal. Some day that is incomparable to any day in history, any of the days in history, the tribulation will fall upon this world. Things will happen that cannot be compared to any of the most catastrophic things that have ever happened. I mean... Asteroids hitting the earth, the sun growing dark, the waters turning to blood, and all these things that happen. And for all that the world sees, the earth dwellers will not repent. That's, 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 a, that's a phrase that is repeated in the Revelation. And they 
would not repent. Thus, it shows us the hardness of the heart of the reprobate. There's, there's just nothing there. Uh, there's no spark of spirituality or anything. The whole tribulation is used to the glory of God to bring the times of the Gentiles from which the earth, the world, has been suffering since the first Gentile power, non-Israelite power, has been dominating the world ever since then. The tribulation is used for a lot of it to, to bring that to a close in such an absolute fashion. And this, it's the, the, the glorious return of Christ is something I cannot imagine. I've seen pictures, people trying to draw it, and people trying to think about it, people trying to write about it. But you just, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, myriads of angels and saints returning with Christ in such a fashion that the whole world sees it. The whole world sees it. It's, it's hard to imagine. Uh, so the, the tribulation leads up to that, and there's a crescendo of horrific, horrific catastrophic events. They just get worse with the, you know, with the, uh, with the seals that are broken and the trumpets that are blown, and then finally the vials, the, the bowls that are poured out, uh, the, the bowls of wrath. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, and, and the world is oblivious to it. it just, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, this is sort of a, a, a microcosm of, of what happens at the close of the age. The Egyptians are just oblivious. They have a, you know, okay, let's go back to the tribulation. There is this brief time where they say, oh, this is God. Let's go hide in a cave and ask for the mountains to fall on us. But then they're right back where they were. The mountains didn't fall. They came out of the cave, and they're, they're right back where they were because they have no spiritual life. Same way with these Egyptians. And we still read about this because in that world, in that day, this, there was nothing that could challenge the might and power of, of Egypt and none in Egypt could challenge the might and power of Pharaoh, <clears throat> the culture having been so ingrained with the belief that, that, that he is God. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a God. He's God for Egypt. Well, all of that is, is still going to change, but there's still things that have to be done. So they're saying, this is what we did. We did this to ourselves. No, you didn't. But they think they did. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot, took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers over, over all of them. Boy, this is a strategic mistake, but he doesn't think it is. All right, here are two and a half million or so Israelites and uh, several hundred thousand men who are of fighting age. They don't know how to fight, but he figures he has to take his whole force to go after them. Well, that was just a big mistake. He doesn't know that yet, but uh, it, it just messes him up. All of them and his officers, he got the whole, I mean, they came from everywhere. Verse uh, 8, And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel. 
And the sons of Israel went out with boldness. Now this is almost comical. You ever seen a proud animal that really is really struts? I call it the derby look. It's like you need to put a derby on them to make them look, you know. They're so they're so proud. Now this is <laughs> this is Israel. We were slaves yesterday, but today we're carrying out all of the riches of Egypt. So they're, they're marching out with boldness. Okay, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Because this is a microcosm of their history right here. So Egypt pursued them and overtook them encamped by the sea. Every horse of Pharaoh's chariots, his horsemen, and his army beside Pihachirath in front of Baal, Zephon, Pharaoh drew near, and the sons of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, Egypt marched after them. They were very frightened, and the sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh. In the, in the first, was it Desert Storm, the first Iraqi war, when the first George Bush was president, and uh, General uh, Schwarzkopf, Schwarzkopf. I remember his words, you know. They were talking about these hundreds of thousands of Republican Guard, and oh, they could strut the way they marched, and they looked so bad. They were, boy, they had words. They were going to do this and that and the other. And, it, you know, it was, it was almost comical because it didn't... Schwarzkopf said, you know, sometimes all you got to do is hit a guy in the nose and he'll shut up. <laughs> Well, Israel hadn't even been hit in the nose and all that boldness went out the window. That's just kind of pitiful, isn't it? Uh, they were scared. They were frightened. And the sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh. Okay, big mistake to be of the children of God and to be afraid. Uh, God is not unaware of whatever happens to his people. So here they are, after all of that boldness, now they're afraid and they're screaming out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the desert? What is this that you have done to us to take us out of Egypt? Isn't this the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone and we will serve the Egyptians because we would rather serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Now that was way back before the plagues. You know, these people like this have a big memory, long memory, don't they? I told you this. I mean, they were so happy with all the stuff. The night of the Passover, marching out with, but they were so happy in their boldness. First little thing goes wrong. Didn't we tell you this was going to happen? We knew this was going to happen. So poor old Moses. Uh, and this is just the beginning of it. <laughs> it doesn't get any better uh, for these people or for Moses, really. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Just chill. Stand firm. Now here's the thing. And this is so difficult for the people of God to accept. 
if we will just shut up and be still and let God be God, He'll take care of it. We don't have to do anything. I'm reminded we were talking about the tribulation. The Lord comes back. Here are all these guys. I, I keep wondering what kind of weapon he's going to let me have on this horse, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to take it apart and clean it and take it out to the range there in heaven and blow a few planets up with it. And... But here's the, the beautiful thing of this is Jesus doesn't even fire a shot. He shows up, and the brilliance of his appearance, to quote some of the Old Testament prophets, causes the opposing force at Armageddon, it causes their flesh to melt off of their bones, the vitreous fluid to melt from the sockets of their eyes. Their blood just spills out when their flesh melts, and the blood causes a river as high as a horse's bridle. So here goes this river of blood, and I don't get to fire my weapon. That's okay. I'll kind of shrivel back and say, I, I'm, I'm, I may not need this after all. <laughs> right? Well, this is, the same, this is the same instruction for the people of God forever ad infinitum. Here it is. Stand firm. Just stand firm and watch Yahweh. Stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which He will accomplish for you, for the way you have seen Egypt is only today, but you shall see them no more ever again. The Israelites had never been pursued by the overwhelming forces of Egypt. They'd never, they'd never seen that. They were slaves. They weren't there when Israel fought Ethiopia or when Israel fought any of the others. They weren't there. The Hittites. They could not have understood what the world's greatest force looked like when it all came together. They, they didn't. But now for the first time, they're just sort of like, you know, holy moly, look at this. All of the chariots of Israel, all of the cavalrys of, of, of Egypt, I'm sorry, of Egypt, all the horsemen of Egypt, the cavalry, all the army of Egypt, all of them marching in splendid array with the world's finest and latest weaponry. All their officers were, were with them, so they were, they were, they were marching in that, that uh, formation. As a matter of fact, Josephus says that, you know, how Israel was formed with three, with three tribes here, three tribes on either side, three tribes. That's the way Egypt marched. And he, God gave him that lesson in Egypt. So this would be how they were coming. And there's no telling how many of those uh, units or formations there were coming after them. Uh, and so here's what. Uh, here's what Moses, now Moses has seen this before. He used to lead them. You're only seeing this today, but don't worry. You're not going to see this again. You shall see them no more ever again. Yahweh will fight for you, 
But you just remain silent. Just be quiet. Another place, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. That is so hard for people to do. To be still, to shut up, and let God be God. All right, so, verse uh, 15. Yahweh said to Moses, why do you cry to me? That's like he called Moses a crybaby. Why do you cry to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And you raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Now the beautiful thing about Moses is he doesn't question any of this. How many of us would have had a question mark on our face when, when, when God said, tell them to go forward. Okay, here comes Egypt and there's the Red Sea. Let's tell them to keep moving. You take your staff and divide the sea. Oh, <laughs> that's a simple thing. Easy for you to say, Yahweh. Uh, well, it is easy for Yahweh to say. It's easy for Yahweh to do it through the way that he said. All right, so verse uh, 17. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of Egypt, and they'll come after you. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. And Egypt will know that and the Yahweh, that I am Yahweh, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Okay, so God knows the hearts of the Egyptians. They, they're back where they were. They're spiritually dead. They, for the moment they saw what happened at Passover, they saw the death of their beasts and all this stuff that happened to them. But... Uh, God knows their hearts and he knows that they still don't honor him over Pharaoh. You know, like, it's like, you know, okay, Pharaoh, he's going to pull a trick out of his bag here somewhere and we're going to be saved and we're going to get these people back. Not so. Egypt will know that I'm Yahweh. When, not if, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, the news of what's going to happen here will precede Israel in their march, their march to the promised land. And we'll, well, no, that's in the book of Numbers. Never mind, we won't get to that tonight. Hmm. <laughs> Then the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. This is just beautiful. And the pillar of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. The immediate danger was the army of Egypt. So here's this mighty force, the pillar of fire, the, the cloud in the day and the fire at night. And he moves, he swings around to stand between Egypt and Israel. Uh, verse 20. And he came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. Thus it was to the one a cloud of darkness and gave light to the other by night so that not one drew near to this all night. 
So, Israel cannot retreat because they looked at this pillar of fire and they said, I ain't going there. Egypt stopped and said, we're going to have to wait a little while because we ain't going there. So neither of them drew near to the other all night. It was light on one side, darkness on the other. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh caused the sea to go back with the strong east wind all night. And he made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the sons of Israel came into the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were to them as a wall on their right hand and on their left. And Egypt pursued them and came after them, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, into the midst of the sea. It came about in the morning watch that Yahweh looked down over the army of Egypt through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of Egypt. Okay, so now these guys, these Egyptians, who earlier had, been, had had their hearts hardened by, by Yahweh, not just Pharaoh, but you saw that, his forces, they were, they were ready to go. The same Yahweh now puts doubt in their minds. He troubles them. He confuses them. And how, you know, how would you feel? I mean, I can imagine. I saw the Ten Commandments and how they depicted the walls of water. It's hard. I don't know what it would have looked like. I'm guessing it was scary. I guess it was loud. It probably sounded like Niagara Falls or worse on either side. I guess it kept rolling against it. I don't really know. How, sh how can I know? But what was a salvation for Israel would be death to the enemy of God's people. So they're seeing this <laughs> they're not real sure about what's going to happen. And he removed the wheels of their chariots so that they drove them with heaviness. In other words, they got bogged down, lost their mobility. So he took away the mobility and the ability to move. In other words, they're stuck in the mud. Now, how would you feel Stuck in the mud with how tall would those walls of water be? I don't know. So you can't turn around and can't go this way. It's, you're stuck in the mud. What you going to do? Well, Egypt said, let's get out of here. Let us flee from the face of Israel because Yahweh fights for them against Egypt. And Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and let the water return upon Egypt, upon their chariots and upon the horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea toward the, and toward morning the sea returned to its full depth as, as Egypt was fleeing into it. So Yahweh overthrew Egypt into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh coming after them into the sea, not even one of them survived.
But the sons of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the water was to them like a wall on their right hand and on their left. On that day, Yahweh saved Israel out of the hand of Egypt, and Israel saw Egypt dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great hand which Yahweh had used upon Egypt, and the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in Moses, his servant. Well, that'll last for a day or two. Right? Great lesson for the people of God that regardless of the circumstances, we should just trust God simply and absolutely. When it, when it comes to our relationship with God and the things of God, we should always remember that we are absolutely powerless and there is no need for human strength unless the Lord directs it. There's no need for it. That's a hard lesson. Christians spend their entire lives struggling with that kind of thing. You remember how Abram was going to help God out. Sarah, you know, she was here, take my handmaid because the law of the land is her child will be my child and we'll figure this out together. Well, it just, it just never works that way. It, it never, ever works that way. Worldly wisdom. There are too many, too many churches today trying to make worldly wisdom compatible with the church and vice versa. Trying to make the church compatible with worldly wisdom, and I use the term loosely, maybe worldly foolishness rather than wisdom. Uh, trying to find, you know, we, we have to reach out. We have to find a bridge. We have to do, we don't. We just need to trust God and he'll take care of it, um, whatever it is, regardless of how bad. Probably all of us will think at some point in time, maybe more than one time in our lives, we will face an obstacle as bad as the Red Sea in one direction and the forces of Egypt in the other direction and nowhere to go. But it's a good lesson to just don't be afraid, stand firm, be still, and shut up. That's about what Moses said to the children of Israel. All they had to do was watch. All they had to do was watch what God was going to do. Now that's a life of faith when a person just moves on in faith. Simple faith. God already knows the thoughts of everybody. And sometimes, and I've been there hundreds if not thousands of times, where you get a little anxious for God to work something out. But what has to be remembered is that God is working in the lives, hearts, and minds of dozens if not hundreds of other people, moving this whole thing to converge into what His will is for your life. And then when it happens, it's the best thing that could have been. Okay, we'll stop there and God willing pick up next time. Father, we marvel at who you are and how so very tiny we are and how great you are. And yet even so, you've called us to yourself and
You've given us this covenant through which you'll take care of us. We love you for it. God, we just pray that we'll learn the lessons of faith, that we might please you as we walk through this life. In Jesus' name, amen.